This is the Math Venture Partners Podcast, Profiles in Courage. Hi, I'm your host, Mark Ackler, and we're here to talk about those pivotal decision moments, taken or not, that startup CEOs must make on a regular basis and the cascading positive or negative results from those decisions. Joining me today is Daniel Estrada, CEO of 86 Repairs. Daniel, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Would love to hear about your bio and an explanation of 86 Repairs. What do you guys do? But first, a little context for our audience about this podcast. The very act of leaving your job and starting a new company is a profound act of courage. You are taking both financial as well as career risk. The very act of being an entrepreneur is the definition of courage. In this podcast, we want to go deeper. Everyday entrepreneurs are faced with daunting, sometimes life and death decisions about how to go forward. Some examples are when you have to fire a co-founder or a personal friend or saying no to a promising new line of business that's off focus or off mission or facing the elephant in the room, the big issue no one is talking about. There's a constant daily stream of decisions that really are courageous ones that you have to make. So Daniel, welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about 86 Repairs. Sure. I've been in and around technology, in and around software for close to 20 years. Started my career as a web developer and then was a consultant for a while, worked for big and small companies. I was in and out of startup companies a couple of times as a founder in one case, as a CTO in another. And I kept coming back to small companies. I kept coming back to the kind of entrepreneurial ventures that I found the most excitement and interest in and, and the most autonomy, obviously. That's a big reason a lot of people go into business for themselves. So big versus small? Why why small? I mean, so autonomy, I get autonomy. Yeah, I think small companies have the advantage of being able to move quickly. They're more nimble. The decisions you make have a bigger impact on your customers, on your colleagues. That's always been really appealing to me. You, of course, don't have the resources that you have in a large organization. But being able to move fast, being able to do the things that you need to do in order to make progress, those are critical. And to me, large organizations have never given me an opportunity to really feel like I'm making progress in a meaningful way. Got it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about 86 Repairs. So uh, 86 Repairs manages the whole repair process for restaurant groups. So we turn the frustrating, expensive, complex process of getting things fixed in a restaurant, we turn all of that into a text message. So a restaurant sends us a text or call or email, and we manage the whole process of getting things fixed. So we have a software platform behind the scenes that automates a lot of that process, uh, collects data for restaurant operators about what's breaking, where the money's going, uh, where they're maybe over-investing or wasting money in repairing equipment, and uh, we help them make better operational decisions. So how is that different from what they're doing today without you? So today, what what typically happens in a restaurant group is there's a messy process of managing a bunch of different vendor relationships, calling around to different service companies, uh, managing all the paperwork orders and invoices that are floating around, chasing after vendors, chasing after staff to manage the process well. And there's no data about what's actually happening in the restaurant. And so what happens is 
you know, they two managers dispatch a vendor for the same repair, and then they're paying two trip charges. They waste a lot of money on repairs that maybe don't need a service company in the first place. Mm. You know, paying three hundred dollars for someone to come out and flip a circuit breaker, right? Mm. So we take all of that pain and that wasted time and money off the table, so restaurant operators can focus on delivering a great guest experience, which is really what they're there to do. Got it. And who's your champion? Who's the, the decision maker? Is it the owner of the restaurant, the manager of the restaurant? Yeah, it depends on the depends on the customer segment. So we work with a lot of independent groups, mm-hmm. um, usually multi-unit, you know, five, ten, fifteen unit independent groups. And there, it's typically a partner, or an owner, sometimes a director of operations. Mm-hmm. In larger groups, big franchisees or franchisors, there we're talking to a director of operations, VP of operations, typically. Got it. So, by the way, for our listeners, in full disclosure, 86 Repairs is also a part of the portfolio, Math Venture Partners portfolio. <laughs> so, we have a vested interest in your success. And, and proud we are of it. Yes, indeed. All right. So, this is a podcast about the courage it takes, the everyday courageous decisions that entrepreneurs have to make. And I'm just curious in your experience, have you, what are some of the challenges and some of those? So those pivotal moments, those courageous moments that you've had to to take. Yeah. So when I think about sort of the life of our company, there's a couple of things that stand out, and we can talk in more detail about some of these things. But I think at the very beginning of the company, when you have an idea or an inclination that that you can add value right to mm-hmm. an industry, mm-hmm. uh, it takes a lot of discipline to validate those assumptions and hypotheses with real data and not just fall headfirst into some product idea or service that you're enamored with. The way I liken that or, or connect that to courage is I think it's very easy to assume and follow your own instinct on where you think you can add value into a problem that you see or a pain point that you see in the market. And so what we did when we started 86 Repairs is we actually didn't start the company with an idea or with a product. We started the company with a set of criteria, right? We wanted to find a we wanted to find a problem in a in a big industry um, that we felt was ripe for disruption through technology, mm-hmm. uh, and where we felt one of us or both of us had some subject matter expertise or some industry expertise that would that would provide a unique advantage. And so we went out to the market and we kind of discovered we had some ideas, right? We had some inclinations about some different pain points and, and issues that we were seeing. My co-founder Joe, you know, worked in the food equipment business, and right. that's largely where eighty six came from. It took a lot of discipline to focus on what customers were telling us and not on what we thought we were seeing or what we thought would be a good solution. Yeah, I think of that almost as radical empathy. <laughs> right? Right. You know, it's not about you, right. it's about your customer. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And not only what your customer needs, but the language that they describe it, right? Absolutely. And so what their KPIs are. So it's not about you, it's about them. Right. Really deeply, truly understanding what matters most to them. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think taking that a step further, doing that homework early on prevented us from having to pivot in big ways later Mm. in our journey. Mm -hmm. But also, I think it was really important that the discipline comes from Understanding what you know and what's just an assumption, and then not being distracted by all the other things you could be doing, right? And yeah. so I connect those dots, right? I connect this kind of culture or or philosophy about you know really 
that ra- that sense of radical empathy. I connect that to in later stages of the business, not being distracted by things that new business models, right? New customer segments you could go after, new features and benefits that you think you can bring to your customers, being laser focused on the things that you've heard concretely customers struggling with and being able to build your solution around those things first and then putting some things on the back burner and waiting until later to to chase yeah. them. I think all entrepreneurs what you say no to is every bit as important as what you say yes yeah. to. Yeah. And as a product manager I love simplicity. I think most <laughs> products tend to be over-engineered right. because most entre- most entrepreneurs, they're not quite sure what their customer wants, so they throw in everything, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> trying to hope one of the, something will stick. Right. Well, and I think you know one of the issues is also that if you're surrounding yourself with advisors, investors, board members, you know people in the industry, everyone has ideas, right? And when you're, as a founder, part of my job is to go out and get people excited about what we're doing. Right. And when I get people excited about what we're doing, invariably there are ideas that come out, right? Why don't you right. Right, fill in the blank? Couldn't you do you know, X? A lot, of, a lot of people have asked us, you know, can I, when can I have this for my house? I would love to be able to have somebody managing all the repairs that I have going on at sure. home, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, all kinds of different things, even, even not that drastic, but just small changes in the business. And I think you know, one of the things, you know, some concrete areas of opportunity for us where we can see real revenue streams, right? We can see high margins in a lot of, you know, new business, uh, new channels, new new features, new offerings. And it's hard to say no to those things because it's tempting, right? Yeah, but focus, focus, focus. Right. 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 Absolutely. Cool. So give us some uh, other examples of difficult decisions that you've had to make or didn't make. Sure, yeah. So uh, I think one of the hardest things for early stage companies, especially as you start hiring people, is the need to hire slowly and fire quickly. And we've had some some challenges in this area. So one of the things that you know we've because we want to move so quickly, I think in some cases we have hired people out of a sense of we need this role filled right now. Mm. And certainly we have interviews and we talk to, you know, a handful or more of candidates, but oftentimes I think, you know, in a couple of cases especially, uh, we moved a little too quickly in hiring and a little too slowly in firing. Yeah. And I mean that's a that's a common story I hear from a lot of my peers, but I think there's a balance between in a startup company knowing who the right person is for the role and knowing what the role actually needs to deliver. Mm. And that's that's the constant tightrope we're walking because the roles, the things we need as a company change almost every day. Sure. And so right, so you're you're looking for people who can do a lot of different things. You're looking for generalists, you're looking for people who who think like a founder, right? As much as you can find it, and who are who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do anything it takes to be successful in a role. And the reality is there aren't a lot of people like that out there. Mm. And so so anyway, we've had some challenges there, particularly in the sales side. That's been a challenging, challenging area for us. Yeah. And not just for you, for lots of companies. Yeah. Yeah. What about culture? How does culture fit into that hiring equation? Yeah. So, you know, I think we we have a very engaged team. We have an exceptional team. And it's very important, especially when we talk about the hiring and firing process. It's one of the things I always think about is it's as important for the other people on the team 
who you hire and fire as it is for that person that you're oh, hiring or firing. Of course. Right? I mean, yeah. and we had, you know, we had a situation with, with a hire uh, this year uh, that was really hard for us because, you know, this person was one of the first five people we hired in the company yeah. and was with us for six or seven months. Great guy. We all really liked him. It was a, he was a part of the team, right? It was when, when you have, you know, at the time we had 12 people. When you have 12 people on a team, everybody plays some role kind of socially, culturally in the, in the dynamic of the team. And we try to keep, you know, our team as engaged in the company and as engaged with each other as possible, especially because they're distributed. We have people in a couple of different, different cities. And so having to make the decision to let someone go on that team is really impactful to, to the other staff. But when you have a person, whether they're underperforming or they're you know, not a good fit culturally or they're bringing too much negativity into the team, those things all affect, you know, in the case of underperformance, they affect other people in that role, right? Well, this person's not doing their job and they still work here. Right. What about me, right? Why does it matter? Why should I work hard? Yeah, and when and when you do fire the person, ultimately they come back and the other members of the team come back and say, "What took you so long?" Yeah, yeah, I've seen that happen. And in the case of you know poor culture fit or poor attitude, you know we're pretty good at filtering that out on the front end. Yeah. We don't have a lot of issues with that, but but generally, you know, what I've seen in other companies is you know that one poison pill can really you yep. know sour the whole mood of a company. You can't afford that as a startup company, right? You can't afford that as a company with 12 people. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your shareholders, your board. Do you have a board? We do, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about how you interact with the board and how aligned you are with around strategic decisions. Yeah, so we have we're very lucky to have a strong board that we have a good relationship with. Our, our board members are supporting us through making introductions, through connecting us with their network that can be helpful, through connecting us with customers and being a sounding board for me as a CEO and for, you know, my co-founder Joe who's our COO and in some cases other team members you know, as well. And so the relationship we have with the board is one, I, I want our board meetings to be strategic conversations. I don't mm. want them to be tactical updates. So, you know, we share the tactical updates in email and through some short phone conversations here and there, right? And we stay connected to the board. But in the board meetings, I want to be having the hard discussions, right? About the things that really matter in our business. So we talk a lot about sales and marketing, which is a big challenge for us, right? How to create, I mean, this is a big part of, you know, math's uh, investment thesis, obviously, is, you know, how do you create a, a repeatable, scalable you know, sales and marketing engine for, for a company. And so we want to be hitting those those topics. And so what sometimes, you know, is a challenge in those meetings is we're pretty aligned with our board, but in some cases, you know, we get feedback about something that's not working or that we didn't think about. And it's a balance of, of wanting to be prepared and feel like you know what you're doing. And on the other hand, admitting that none of us know what the hell we're doing most of the time. Right? Sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, but... It's having that foundational level of trust yeah. is really important. It is. It is. And I think I always joke with people the you know, the the biggest realization I had as an adult is that everyone's just figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what advice do you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? So in this podcast, <laughs> out, out there in the audience, there, there's yeah. going to be people who are thinking about, well, maybe I should leave my job. Like, if you Don't get, do it. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. At the beginning, you said you loved autonomy. But, but, but like, what advice would you give, especially around decision-making? Oh, boy. You know, I think there's a couple of layers, right? I think, first of all, you have to really understand, you know, what your boundaries are in making decisions. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations in our company recently, for example, about how aggressive we are, right? How much we step on the gas and how much we step on the brake, yeah. right? You can't drive a car without both, but there needs to, and there needs to be a balance, but when you when you're a venture backed startup company and you have you know you have cash runway and you know there are there are financial pressures and you're trying to you know not fire people who you'd prefer not to fire right and keep your momentum going you have to you have a lot of hard decisions to make and so you have to look at those decisions through the lens of what you're comfortable with right if you're more risk averse i don't think you can't be an entrepreneur, I think you you can, but you're going to look at different businesses and different opportunities and think about you know the dynamics of the market that you're going into very differently. Right, and there are plenty of opportunities for great smaller entrepreneurial companies right. that just may not be appropriate for venture right. capital or for having exactly. investors. But once you take investor money, then you're also taking their agenda. I agree. And I also think the important thing for us, the way I think about it is we make a commitment to our investors when they when we take their money right. that this is we believe this to be a large scalable opportunity, right? right? And we make the commitment to our investors, we're going to do everything we can to realize that vision of a large scalable opportunity. And so uh, so I think knowing what your boundaries are as a, in, in your decision making process is the first thing, mm-hmm. right? Understanding: Are you risk averse? Are you not? How much are you going to step on the gas? How much are you going to step on the brake? And then also balancing that out with the rest of your team. Well, I was just about to say, oftentimes most entrepreneurial companies have a, have partners. Right. You're not in it by yourself, right? Right, and so it's not you alone making this decision, but you with your co-founder or co-founders right. have to be aligned. Right, and right. I think your board can help with that as well. Right, your board members can apply the brakes when they think you're moving too fast, or or encourage you to step on the gas. But you have to have those people around you, and you have to understand also what their strengths and weaknesses are. I think the biggest thing for us is knowing. I know where my board members came from. I know what their backgrounds are, right? I know which ones of them have been operators of right. startup companies. I know which ones haven't. When I have financial modeling questions, I come to Troy because, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so there are, but I mean that seriously, right? You have to know the strengths and weaknesses of the people that you surround yourself with and be, be thoughtful about who you're taking advice from. And I think that's the, the second part of, of kind of that decision making process is all these different inputs from all these different people, right? Everyone has an opinion. No one knows your business as well as you do, but they all have experience that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to contextualize their experience and really know through what lens is this person looking at my company. Yeah, you know, at Techstars, they call it mentor whiplash. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. And, you know, from our vantage point as investors, we're looking for CEOs who are both coachable. Mm-hmm. So you have some humility that you're willing to listen, right. 
but at the same time have enough of a spine and have enough of a backbone that because yeah. you're absolutely right. You know your business better than we do. You're living it every single day. Right. And when you know you're right, you have to be able to have enough strength of vision and purpose to stand up to your board and say, yeah. No, I know I you know, thank yeah. you for your point of view. Right. I, you can't do that often, but yeah. But and sometimes you're wrong, right? Right. Yeah. But you got to see. You know, we need. We're also looking for entrepreneurs who have both that yeah. coachability and the strength of their conviction. Yeah, and I think that goes both ways, right? It's a big red flag for me when I sit in an investor meeting, and the investor gives me signals that they think they know the business better than I do. Right. Right. That is a recipe for a lot of headaches down the road, right? And a lot of clashing. And I think when investors understand the value of the advice and the coaching and the support that they can provide us, and they understand that we're in it day to day and and can help us zoom out of the business, right? That's what I want the board to be doing too, right? right. And some of our web members are, are investors. Zooming out you know, from from the day to day and helping us see the forest from the trees, that's hugely valuable. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I think you bring a good point. Not all investors are created equal. Right. They have different backgrounds, different skills, different values. Right. right? And I'm, we're incredibly respectful how difficult it is to raise money right. from entrepreneurs. But if you do have the ability to have the luxury to choose who you take money from. Yeah. Right. Then I think it's it's really incumbent upon the entrepreneur to deeply and thoughtfully do your research on us yeah. every bit as much as we are doing it on you. Absolutely. On you. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, going back to the theme of courage, I think one of the things that's really hard in the fundraising process is to say no. When it's not the right fit, right, right. As an entrepreneur, to say as as a founder of a company, to know that there's an offer on the table, right. But it's not it's not a good fit. It's not a good fit. Right. You you know you have to believe so much in yourself that you can find a way forward despite right. saying no to this opportunity, right. Despite saying no to maybe a big check that someone's ready to write, or it could be a customer. Like I, you know, sometimes it makes sense to fire a customer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right? Yep. You know, the customer's always right, but every once in a while there's there's <laughs> yeah. you know, somebody who's just it's yeah. just not gonna work. Yeah. And I think, you know, for us, you know, one story, one one example I can share in our fundraising process is, you know, we have we have a tremendous lead investor in our in our first rounds, and their firm has been hugely supportive. They've helped us close deals, made some great intros, they they know our industry really well. The terms that we got at that time were not stellar. I would have changed some things, right? That's always a negotiation, right? And obviously, you know, investors and, and entrepreneurs are aligned in certain respects around those terms and disaligned in others. But at the end of the day, you know, we made a practical decision. And, you know, we said, look, given the timing, given how early of a stage this company is in, given the momentum that having a lead investor is going to create in that round, we made the decision to move forward even though it was less than ideal. And I'm glad we did. I don't have any regrets about that. But that's something you have to sometimes just bite the bullet and say, look, I may be able to fix this later, I may not, but we are where we are and understanding the context of, of where you are in your journey and what the pros and cons of different decisions are is super important. And sometimes you don't know. Right, you're rolling the dice a bit. Yeah, you know, oftentimes I think of it 
as a short-term orientation or a longer-term orientation? And are yeah. you trying to optimize for the moment, or are you thinking, playing the chess game, thinking two or three steps ahead and right. trying to have the longer point of view? Right. Right. right, and sometimes the micro decisions turn into macro decisions. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, firing customers is a great example. You know, when you're small and you have five customers, you know, you're a lot less likely to fire one. Yeah. As you get bigger and you start measuring the profitability, for example, of those customers, right? And you say, well, we got a few dogs here in our in our portfolio. Let's you know, let's think about think about cutting some out. That's a tough decision too, especially because you're emotionally invested in those relationships, right? As a small company. Got it. Great. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate these yeah. insights. Of course. Uh, really meaningful and it helps to give back. I know the listeners really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed the conversation, Mark. Great. So I want to thank Daniel Estrada, CEO of 86 Repairs, and most especially a big shout out to our producer, editor, sound engineer, and all around jack of all trades, Christy Damazowski, for her excellent support. Without her, this podcast would not be even remotely possible. So thank you, Christy. 